Hello, podcast listeners. You are currently listening to Stories Past, stories told to students by me, Blake Smith, over the last 30 years. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Stories Past for episode four. And I am really excited about the response I've gotten to the recent episodes we've done, and we're going to do one more today. And hopefully I'll give you an incentive to go back and maybe listen to the other episodes before. As I was thinking about what episodes to offer or which stories to tell in each episode, I started thinking about, I am, there's one that I'm holding on to a little bit that may require two episodes to tell. But right now I'd like to tell a specific story about a place that has a very important place in my heart. And I told you that the bottom of the Grand Canyon Havasupai Indian Reservation was a very important place to me where I was baptized and where I proposed to my wife. But Glacier National Park also has an important place for me from very young age and maybe for the same reasons. Um, I was brought there by my father and we went there as kids. And I feel like we went a couple times, but we definitely went once, of course and maybe twice. And, you know, my brother worked at Mini Glacier Hotel. My sister, Meredith, my brother, Michael, both worked at, at Mini Glacier Hotel, spent their summers there. So I always knew that it was special and that I always liked it. And I think the reason that you like it so much is it's kind of small relatively. It's right in the northwest corner of Montana, right on the border of Canada. And in fact, the Waterton Peace Park is part of Glacier. They kind of connect, connect one to another one national park in the United States rolling into a Canadian national park, which by the way is beautiful also. And it's this little place that kind of sits in the middle of Montana and looks kind of like they say Switzerland. I never really, I've been to Switzerland in the summertime, but they say it's kind of like, like a little Switzerland. And it was established early in the turn of the century, 1900, when the railroad went through and the Northern Pacific Railroad that connected um, uh, Minnesota with Seattle passed right through Glacier National Park. And in fact, the train to this very day goes right through um, Glacier and you can get off of the train of Amtrak and they'll pick you up on a wagon and bring you to one of the old hotels that still operate in the National Park. And I think the old hotels kind of, I always love that part of it, going into some big giant three-story um, A-frame that had a fireplace going and photos of old people living in the mountains. And um, one interesting thing about Glacier National Park, which I thought would be a good story and a good movie, was that they had these things they called chalets. And currently, there's a few of them left, maybe three or four, maybe two of these chalets. But they used to have a variety of them. And because there were no real vehicles to go through it, they would go by horseback. And people would be taken on these trips by, they call them mule skinners, and they would walk them to the chalet and then they could stay in a kind of a hotel that sat in these unbelievably beautiful places. And today, Granite Park Chalet is one of the most beautiful locations in all of America and um, just a stunning location. And I've been there probably three or four times to that particular spot. So the reason that we tell this story about Glacier Park, other than it's a very important place to me, and I've got lots of stories of Glacier Park, the, but my favorite one is one about my family. So as I've been telling you, my father was one of those people that in the, every second summer would pile everybody into the pop-up 
trailer and station wagon and off we would go across the country and usually in a direct east-west pattern and we kind of would go directly someplace and then hit everything along the way and on one of those and my father read a lot about this place too was we were going to go to glacier national park and so as a child we went there and we always camped but one interesting story about as a child that i remember vividly was first i think the first mountain i ever climbed mount henkel was right behind the camping area in mini glacier and i'm going to back up a little bit glacier national park is it's relatively small but it's pretty big and there's different areas that you access it so you can access it from west glacier and then there's this unbelievable road called the going to the sun highway you know the top two highways in america maybe three and it takes you up to the top of the um, continental divide and then drops you off to the other side and just ridiculously good and um you know scary road and there's west glacier and east glacier and two medicine and different places but mini glacier kind of sits way up north and, and it's just it's hard to get to you kind of have to take this one road way way up into the middle of a native american indian reservation blackfoot reservation to bab montana and then you turn into this kind of nothing little road and off you go into this kind of wonderland that i always thought of and as a child i can remember that there was this one man and he was known for having climbed most of the mountains in Glacier National Park. And he wrote the book on climbing Glacier National Park. So the man who knew the most about Glacier National Park when it came to hiking and climbing was a man named Gordon Edwards. And Gordon Edwards wrote the book on climbing Glacier Park. And most people that I know who love Glacier Park have a copy of this. And I have one, my brother has one and it's kind of dog eared, you know, and kind of been wet a lot and stuff because you're flipping through. And it, it basically is a description of how to climb mountains saying, go to this shaped rock and turn right and traverse across here until you reach, you know, this, and they teach you how to climb mountains and prepare you of what you have to, to bring with you and whether you need ropes and things like that. So I didn't really know this at the time. So my father goes in and we're camping in the mini glacier campground, which is the greatest. And um, in my father finds out that in mini glacier campground that Gordon Edwards is camping there and that he was in the campground while we were there. And he's the guy that wrote the book on climbing glacier. So my father figured that he was going to climb something. I can't remember exactly what my dad wanted to climb. Maybe it was. Oh, my, maybe my brother and my, yeah, my brother and my dad were going to climb Mount Wilbur, which is a pretty hard mountain. And he, he wanted to talk to Gordon Edwards about climbing it. So he finds out Gordon Edwards is in our campground. We go to his camp, camp area. He doesn't know who we are. And he kind of, you know, knock on the door at the campground and he's, and he wouldn't do that, but he was in his tent and it turns out that he had been bitten by a bear prior to us going there. And it had only been a couple days. And it's kind of amazing when I think back to this story because we walked in and my memory is this man who was kind of looked sick, like he wasn't healthy. And his hand looked like a giant boxing glove. Like he had this big boxing glove on. He's kind of standing there and it was way bigger than his other hand. And he had these puncture marks in it. And so the story he told, and my family can vouch to this, is he was, he was hiking and of course going off trail. And he was in an alder grove, which is kind of low, low, um, small trees, small branches, but you can't really see through it very well. And he came upon a female bear and maybe cubs and the bear attacked him. And he put up his hand and to defend himself and the bear bit down on his hand. And he claimed that he was able to basically like pet the face of this bear and talk this bear down to allow that bear, if you can believe it, to release his hand and allow him to survive. 
So now, and that's what he told us, you know, you can ask my, my, my father's not around, but my brothers and sisters, but that's what he told us that had happened. And, you know, I saw this hand. And so my father said, you've got to get to a hospital. And so sure enough, they did because bears mouths are just this terrible, awful um, Petri dish of the worst kind of infectious materials. And so off he went and we really never, I don't remember ever talking to him again, but I can remember I've used his book many, many times. And I remember I mourned his passing when he died. Gordon Edwards. It's funny because I had to look up his name. I couldn't think of his name. There's like a cut in this particular story, which you'll maybe hear. But so that was kind of my experience. And I did as a child, hiked many of the places in Mini Glacier, Mini Glacier, but pretty much just the child versions of them. My brother did a lot more, climbed a lot more than I have. And in fact, I would go back as an adult with my older brother, who Michael, who was eight years older than I have. And I was, and we spent probably five weeks in separate summers climbing and doing different things in, in Glacier, which was an unbelievably great experience, which has stories in themselves, which I'll tell someday. But this story today is actually about the time in which I took my own family to Glacier National Park in the same exact way as my father had. So I had the pop-up trailer. I had a minivan, not a minivan, but a conversion van, Ooh, conversion van with the good seats and the captain's seats. And it was all great. And um, you could stand up in it. So off we went. It was so exciting. And so I had my children and Bailey was probably less than two. Quinn was about maybe five or six, making Riley nine or 10. Okay. So um, you can imagine the ages, they're about five years, five years apart. Um, and so off we go to take to do our experience. And I can always remember, you know, even I think I wrote it down that it was like I was reliving what my father was. You know, I was kind of it was being my father again and and reverting to my father. And, and in fact, at this point, my father was still alive and I would contact him constantly. I would send him notes and call him and tell him how I was doing when I was going to certain things. And he really, I think, enjoyed experiencing my trip um, vicariously through me. And it was just very similar. It, was, it had great memories that I created with my children the same way that he created them with our family. And the most interesting thing to begin with was we're whipping across the country and things are going well. And I'd gotten this pop-up trailer from a person who had had it for a while, but didn't really use it very much. And I bought it and it was in good condition. And I thought this is great. So I had this nice pop-up trailer. But the problem was that the trailer had been sitting for a while. In fact, I think it had been sitting for maybe five years or 10 years, whatever. And that causes um, dry rot in tires. And so we're driving down the road and I'm somewhere in Ohio or Indiana and I look back and my tire of my trailer just leaves my car, leaves the vehicle. It goes whipping off and flies down the hill off to nowhere. And so I'm dragging this trailer on a rim. And the problem was that when you were pulling a trailer and not paying attention, once, once it blows, it doesn't take it very long. You don't really feel it that much. It doesn't take it very long for that tire to actually come whipping off. So I lose the entire tire. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? And so I go and I, I get the spare. But now I've got, I realize that I'm in trouble because I've got no replacement. I only have the spare, the one, and the one that blew up. So I immediately try to find a place somewhere around there that I had to get a tire. So I pull into this little town, kind of like where I live in Canajoharie, kind of went to the tire shop, you know, in Canajoharie, went up and I said, you know, I need this particular tire. And the guy said, oh yeah, I can get you those. He goes, I can get you those tomorrow. And I said, no, no, no. I said, please. I said, I, I can't wait till tomorrow. Could you please, is there any way I can get it today? He goes, well, I guess I can go. So I said, how many you got? And he said, I got three. I said, give me them all. He said, what? Because I, said, I want all those tires. So he goes and gets them. He brings them to me and gives me these tires. He puts one on the rim, keeps the other two. So I was pretty good. I get back in the car. And sure enough, within 
500 miles, the other two tires had also done exactly the same thing, exploded, blew off, had to replace the tire, put it back on and ended up being fine because I had three. So I had one, one spare and two brand new ones and we were good for the rest of the trip. But that kind of added a little bit of excitement to the trip. So we went from different places. Of course, you go to the Badlands and you go to Mount Rushmore and we went to Crazy Horse Monument and then you get into the Rocky Mountains and Montana and I finally took my family and brought them to where I wanted them to go, which was Many Glacier. So we go there and we set up and I was having memories back when I was a kid of some of the things, my greatest memories, some of my, my most satisfying memories about Glacier Park. And one of those places, which is really easy to get to, is called Red Rock Lake. And Red Rock Lake, you have to imagine now that Many Glacier is called many, like M-A-N-Y, like lots of them. And so it sits in the base of this beautiful valley that is called Swift Current, Swift Current Valley. And it's got a series of almost like imagine um, like pearls on a string of these beautiful light blue lakes that look like milk blue, um, turquoise blue as they work their way up. And then they finally end up with a lake and then this massive wall that's a cliff with waterfalls falling off it and glaciers that sit there all the time. The color of the water that, that blue comes from what they call glacial till. And that means that the glaciers themselves are actually grinding and breaking down rock. And then that is released into the water when it melts. And it actually re releases this kind of minerals into the water that creates this really beautiful color, almost robin's egg blue. And it's great for pictures, of course. But red rock is this beautiful blue color amongst red rocks. And so we I've been there many times, but I remember that when I was a kid, I went there with my uncle my uncle Al. And at one point I went out on to where Red Rock Falls spills into Red Rock Creek that spills into Red Rock Lake. And at that point, you can walk out into the creek and into the lake. And you can see pretty clearly where the kind of the creek ends and the lake begins with this big drop off. And I can remember being a kid and saying, I was fishing there and I caught like trout going out of style. Like, I think I caught four or five trout. And I was just thinking it was the best thing ever. So I told my wife, I said, I, I know Kim, I know I have these three children and they're really babies, but all I want to do is I want to catch one fish on a fly rod on a, a fly at Red Rock Lake. That's really what I want to do. If, if you can probably, if you can handle that, then I'll do whatever else you want with, with babies. And she's like, okay, you can do that. So we take our family up, we got the backpack and Bailey's a baby and Quinn is very young, five, maybe something like that. And, and Riley's a little bit older. So we get to this place and it's this wonderful location where the, the, the late, the waterfall tumbles down off these beautiful red rocks and then ends up in this lovely Creek with perfect places to hang out. And then it flows finally into Red Rock Lake. One of those pearls, uh, the pearls in the pearl necklace of the Swift Current Valley. So we're there and they're hanging out and I kind of set up everybody. I set up Kim, I set up the kids, I had them in this place and they're playing in the Creek, it's just a perfect place to play. And she says, that's fine. We're just going to hang out and there's beautifulness to look at and it smells great. And um, so Riley and I go, okay, now it's time. We're going to go fly fish. So the two of us walk out and I, I think he had a fly rod. He may have just had a regular fishing pole, but I had a fly rod and a fly. So from where we, I left Kim and the kids, it was probably maybe 150 yards, something like that. So we walk out and you walk along the Creek and then we drop down into the Creek. So we're walking with our feet in the Creek and it's warm. It's summertime. So we don't have to have um, waders or anything, or we maybe should have had them, but the two of us walk out and we walk out right to where I wanted to be. And so I'm standing in this beautiful, clear water, looking out over this drop off exactly where I want to be. And there's this couple 
right next to it. So Riley's up. And now I'm probably up to my waist, maybe a little bit above my waist, but Riley was shorter than me. So it was almost up to his armpits. So we're kind of standing there and I start fly fishing and looking and stuff and enjoying it and being happy. And all of a sudden we hear these people along the edge of the lake and they're going, Hey bear, Hey bear. They're yelling like that. So we take a peek up and sure enough, there's a kind of a teenager bear, like a, maybe a one or two year old grizzly bear. And it's on the edge of the lake and it's walking away from us toward this group. And it's that's, and the bear at this point is probably a quarter mile away from us, maybe half a mile across the lake. And the people are, they see him coming. So, or she, she coming and they're kind of yelling and screaming just to kind of give attention. So we just keep fishing. And the bear rises up on his feet. He looks at these people and he turns around and starts walking the other way. So he turns around and he starts walking back the way he came. So we start, we keep fishing. And then the woman next to me, she says to her husband, she goes, do you think that bear's coming near us? And the guy's like, no, 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 he's going to go off that way. Don't worry about him. So the bear's kind of wandering along the edge of the lake. Well, while where I'm standing, where the creek is flowing into the lake, there are almost like these high berms, almost like the, the creek floods and creates these high walls on each side that aren't full of water at this point. And to get out of the creek bed, you have to kind of climb up onto those things. And there's trees all around. And so I'm fishing and I'm not really thinking about it very much. And I see where the bear is going. And all of a sudden it clicks. I think that the bear, I realized the bear, if he continues in the direction he's headed, is heading straight for my family, straight for Kim, straight for the kids. And once I realize this, I get this panic and I turn and I start walking very quickly back and Riley's hard to keep up with me. I said, he's like, dad, slow down. I said, no, come on, hurry, hurry. And so Riley has to try to keep up and I kind of blow him off and I, I go running, basically running as fast as I can. So he tries to keep, keeps up. We get out of the lake. I get up up to, up to my, my feet. And I'm, I'm basically running through the creek and I come around the corner and there's Kim and they're all playing and Bailey, they're beautiful blonde curls and Quinn all blonde and having a great time. Everything's fine. And I turn and she turns and looks at me and she says, what's the matter? Like she knew immediately from my face that there was something wrong. And I go, it's okay. There's nothing wrong, but, but let's get the kid's shoes on because there's a bear coming. I think there's a bear coming. Kim's like, what, what do you mean there's a bear coming? And just about that time. So I'm starting to put shoes on and Quinn gets a little nervous, starts crying. Bailey doesn't care. And so we're trying to pack people up and, and put shoes on and everything like that. And there's all these people kind of around. There's some other people around. So there's this one woman and she has this child and there, she's actually lifting the child up onto the bank, the bank the embankment where I told you where I think the bear is coming from. So I go, ma'am, I said, ma'am, take that child down, bring him down. I said, there's a bear coming. He's going to come right through here. I think, come here, come on stand over here. And so she sure enough, she walks over next to us. And then Riley, as he comes up behind me, he goes, dad, it's right there. And we turn and we look. So by this point, the bear has made his way and he's now kind of reached the Creek where the Creek spills into the lake. You know, I never thought about until right now was what those couple that the couple did. What the fly fish couple? I never thought about it until right now. So the bear comes across and now he's dropping down into this creek and he's about, I would say 20 yards away from us, maybe 30, but it was close. It was way too close. I mean, I could see this bear and it was young and it was kind of not in a good, he looked kind of like scary, kind of looking bear, like he was up to no good. And so he drops down into this creek and he stops dead in the middle of the creek and he turns and he looks back at us and we're standing there. And I've got, I've got my backpack with one arm on. Bailey has one leg hanging in the thing. I'm holding on to a, 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 a hiking pole that's got a bell on it. It's called the bear bell. And Quinn is crying and Riley's just standing there and Kim is shocked. And I'm sitting there like with this stupid bear bell going, ding, ding, like somehow that was supposed to make some difference that this bear wasn't going to attack us and eat us all. And the...
So you might be wondering, what are you supposed to do when you face off with a bear? And generally, like a black bear, they're not going to really bother you that much. But grizzly bears, they're kind of different. They're more kind of, they're very aggressive. And oftentimes they kind of bluff, like they'll come at you, they'll charge at you, but they really don't want to engage. But the problem is that you don't know what's going to go on. You don't know that they're just bluffing. And so the vast majority of people, when a bear comes at you, is they turn and they run because it's a natural human reaction. I can't fight this thing. I'm going to take off and run, which is the worst thing to do. So you can't take off and run because then the bear thinks, oh, there's something to go chase. And they chase it and then they, they get you. And oftentimes the bears are just out to kind of like intimidate you or to kind of knock you around and stuff. So believe it or not, you have to square up with them. You got to take them on, which is unbelievably scary and maybe sometimes impossible to do. Today, what you do is you have this stuff called bear spray and it's kind of like a heavy duty mace. You keep it. When I hiked with my brother, we always carried bear spray with us and it sprays it maybe, I don't know, 10 yards or something like that. But again, you got to let the bear get close enough to, to shoot this bear spray. So we don't have bear spray. So I'm standing there. I got this half a child coming out of my backpack and I'm ringing this dumb bell and I'm standing there and the bear kind of stops and he turns and looks at us with kind of that steely eye, kind of like uh, Quint in Jaws described, you know, kind of like a doll's eye. And it was kind of dead, kind of scary and didn't have much feeling. And he turned, he kind of looked at us and I thought, oh, this could be really bad. And thank God he just turned and walked away. And so he takes off and people kind of calm down. And the woman that was lifting the child up onto the bank, she goes, is it, would it be okay if I stayed with you guys for a little bit? And I'm like, sure, you can hang out with us. And so things kind of happen and people are pretty excited because they just saw a bear and someone comes up to us and they say, hey, there's a moose. There's a moose up above the falls. Come on, you can go see the moose is up above the falls. And I'm like, yeah, come on guys, let's go do it. And Kim looks at me and she says, are you out of your mind? She goes, I may never enter the woods again. I mean, I've got, that's the scariest thing I've ever had. So we had to kind of pack it up and didn't get to go see the moose. And we turned around and we walked back carefully, of course, looking out. But we finally go back into the thing. And it was funny because Kim would go back in the woods. She did go back in the woods, but, but on horseback. And what's interesting about horseback is when you go out in the woods on horseback, there's never been an, a record of a bear, a grizzly bear, attacking a person on horseback. And I thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit to the end of the story, but that she did go out in the woods, but she was doing it on horseback, which is not, which is something people do in Glacier National Park. One of the great things you can do. And I hope that you enjoyed the story and that also you get a chance to go there someday. And I intend definitely to go back. I've been back many times with my brother and there's still a lot of places that I have not been and a lot of places to experience, but it's the place if you really want to go see a wonderful collection of animals and specifically grizzly bears, because there's not often grizzly bears in places in America that are easy to see in the wild. And Glacier National Park is one of those places. Alaska, you can, there may be some in in, um, in Yellowstone, but I think there's many more in, in Glacier. And it's a great place to go vacation. It's a, it has hotels there. You can camp, of course, great hiking, and usually has tons and tons of snow most of the summer. And I think that's one of the biggest attractions is to be able to, you know, be in August and go slide down a, a hill on, on snow when it's 80 degrees out. And hopefully that if global warming doesn't get much worse, that we'll continue to have our glaciers. But if you've ever heard of the movie, The Inconvenient Truth, um, Al Gore, one of the places he goes to is Grinnell Glacier, the 
most one of the most visited glaciers in Glacier National Park. So hopefully we can have more cold winters and dump some more snow on on Old Glacier to keep those glaciers alive and, and running and providing water for all those unbelievable animals and all the beautiful foliage that exists in Glacier National Park. And that's another episode of Stories Past, a collection of personal experiences that I've told to my students over the last four decades. I've chosen these stories because they were funny, inspirational, or maybe amazing. Please keep a lookout for more upcoming episodes or go back and binge the stories you missed if you want. This is Blake Smith, and you've just been told one of my stories past. <laughs>